Hey, this is Jerry Aiken, pastor at Pierce Chapel in Columbus, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, wherever you may be. I hope that you find the word presented here engaging, informative, and challenging in your walk with Christ. Please check us out online at piercechapel.com. The scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and I'll be reading from chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. (laughs) Revival, renewal, recommitment. Restoration. All of these are words that we use in the church when we are trying to indicate that we are hungry for a spiritual reawakening. And reawakening is another one of those words. But it indicates a desire to grow spiritually, to have God's love and his spirit poured out on us in a way that, that enlivens us. But every one of those words begins with, R-E, which implicates a coming back, a return to the root of something. So for the church to experience revival or renewal or recommitment or restoration or reawakening, we have to look at what's at the root of what we believe. We have to return to that and remind ourselves of that over and over again. And what's at the root of what we believe. What is the core component of what we believe as Christians? It's grace. It's the idea that we do not earn God's love, God's power, God's favor, but yet we get it anyway because he is good even when we are not. Even when we, as I shared with the kids, make a mess, God says, I love you anyway. That is at the the root of what we believe in the church. 
And so it's good for us to come back to that and remind ourselves that grace is the root of it all. For us to experience renewal and reawakening and revival, we have to come back to that. But how can we become more mindful of grace? How can we become more aware of it? Well, last week we started a series called The Means of Grace. And just as we're coming back to the roots of of what is fundamental about Christianity, we are also looking at the very uh, beginning of the Methodist movement, a movement started by John Wesley, and what he said about how we can experience grace. And he called these five things, these traditions that the church implements, that people, that followers of Jesus Christ do. They They are traditions. They are part of our church life. And he said these five things reveal to us how God's grace is at work within us and through us. He called these means of grace. In fact, this is what John Wesley said about the means of grace. He said, the means of grace are outward signs, words, or actions ordained of God, meaning they're, they're outside of our faith. They are, they are ordinary things that become extraordinary He said, and they are appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels whereby he might convey to men provident, justifying, and sanctifying grace. Now, grace comes to us in three forms. Provident means it is the grace that prepares us before we even realize it. Justifying is that grace that that makes us right. It's, it's, It's when we realize we need a Savior. And then sanctifying grace is that grace that continues to teach us and instruct us and and guide us so that we, as we grow. So John Wesley said that these means of grace, they're they're outward signs that uh, that are, are ordinary channels where God reveals his grace to us. Now, on a side note, I showed this picture last week. And after the service, Liam came up to me and said, John Wesley looks a lot like Bruce Getz. (laughs) and once you see it you can't unsee it but if you need help seeing it let's put a golf shirt and a Florida Gators cap on them and there we go like I said I I couldn't unsee it once it was pointed out to me but I hope as this series goes on every time I show that picture maybe that's what your mind's going to go to I don't know But Wesley said that these these means of grace were very important for us to put into practice because that's how we live out God's grace. That's how we understand God's grace. That's how we live into God's grace as we live in this world. Now, last week, we talked about uh, Holy Communion as one of the means of grace. And what we said about that is that's something that we do so often that maybe we forget why we do it. Or we, ex- we forget how we experience God's grace in that moment. Well, today we're going to talk about a means of grace that's kind of the opposite. Maybe it's one we don't do enough. Unlike Holy Communion where we do so often and it, it sort of loses its meaning, the means of grace that we call fasting is one that the church largely has abandoned in practice. Now, there are seasons we may do it. During Lent, we may fast from something. We may give up chocolate. We may give up coffee, whatever it may be. But fasting is the idea that we are going to surrender something in order to live into that reminder that we are in need of God's grace. We are dependent upon God. 
And just as we feel that we're, we're dependent on food or we're dependent on coffee or we're dependent on whatever it may be, giving up that reminds us how weak we actually are. And so we turn to God in those moments of dependency. Now, I want to say a word about fasting. There's a trend, this intermittent fasting that uh, you, you may have seen. It's, it's a, a diet trend uh, where you go so many hours, so many days a week without eating, and you're supposed to lose weight. And you've probably seen all these advertisements for it. And, and maybe that works, maybe not. But I want to be clear, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a diet plan here. We're not talking about a, a way to lose weight. We are talking about the intentional surrender of something that we feel dependent on for a given amount of time so that we can become more aware of just how much we depend on God. And in those moments, in that surrender, then we experience grace on a whole new level. We become aware of it more deeply. Now, like I said, Fasting doesn't have to be giving up food. In fact, some of you may have health issues where you can't fast. Uh, and I certainly don't want to be advising you to do something that your doctor has told you not to do. But maybe there are other things in your life that God has said, you know, I would like to see you do less of that or take a break from that. So that in that break, you can be reminded of your dependency on me instead. John Wesley certainly felt like this should be a part of every believer's life. In fact, he refused to uh, ordain any ministers uh, unless they regularly practiced fasting. John Wesley had seen the power in fasting in his own life. In the year 1756, France threatened to invade England. And the king of England called for a national day of fasting. He said for the whole country to spend a day fasting and in prayer. And in this year, 1756, John Wesley said the fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen since the Restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God Hears prayer, and there will be yet a lengthening of our tranquility. And there was. The invasion of England never took place, and John Wesley fully believed that it's because the entire nation came together for this day of fasting and deliberate prayer. Fasting is simply saying, I'm going to take something I enjoy or something that I feel like I depend on and set it aside and say, right now, I'm only depending on God. And I want to be reminded of how in need of God and God's grace I truly am. You see, self-denial always puts us in a position to receive grace in more amazing ways. If you don't believe that, just ask a mother. A mother is someone who denies herself and has sacrificed herself, has sacrificed her own body in many ways to bring life into the world and to raise a child. And whether it's a biological mother or someone who is just in charge of raising a child, there is always sacrifice involved. And I guarantee you, if you, if you ask anyone 
who has been a part of this process, if that self-sacrifice has increased their understanding of what love and grace is, they would say, of course. You can't sacrifice for others and not grow in your understanding of what love and grace is. Because if you're sacrificing for others as a parent, as a teacher, whatever it may be, you know what it's like to give love and to show grace. And at the same time, if you're a parent or a grandparent, if you've ever reared children, raised children, or taught children, you know your need for God's grace to help you do that, right? So anyone who has experienced that level of mentorship, that level of sacrifice, has been dependent on God's grace and as a result has grown in grace. So self-sacrifice, surrender, to be able to live and to surrender, to give up something that you, you desire, you enjoy, even something you feel like you need for a time period. It enhances that understanding of how much we need God. And John Wesley knew this. That's why he said that every believer should be doing it. But John Wesley also said, look at Jesus' ministry. His own ministry began with fasting. And that's this passage that we just read about him going into the wilderness. It was right after he was baptized. Jesus went into the wilderness to fast. And as he, he did, he expected his followers to do the same. When he called people to come and be disciples, he said, follow me. Live as I do. Live out your faith the way that I do. That's what being a disciple is. So if Jesus fasted, obviously he expected his disciples to fast, his followers, us, the church, to live in a state of self-denial. That's why he said, take up your cross and follow me. That's what discipleship is. And if we look in Matthew chapter 6, we see that Jesus told his disciples. We have that, that slide. Matthew, or Matthew, no, I've got the wrong scripture up there, the wrong reference. It's Matthew 6, where he's talking to his disciples and say, and when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. Notice he says, when you fast, not if you fast. He expected us to do this. To somehow or another deny our appetites on occasion so that we could understand our need for God more clearly. And we'll come back to this, this passage in just a little bit. But, but John Wesley said if, if Jesus did that, then he expected us to do it. And Jesus went into the desert. He went into the wilderness. And notice what it says. The Spirit led him. That's very important. Sometimes we might get the idea that we should fast. That's not what happened here. Jesus didn't, you know, receive his baptism from John the Baptist and then say, oh, I know what would be good. No, it said the Spirit led him into the wilderness to fast. Fasting should always be in obedience to the Spirit's call on our, our hearts, on our lives. It should always be a response to God saying to us, hey, I need you to do less of this for right now. And so fasting begins with obedience, yielding to the Spirit. But then, once Jesus enters the wilderness, it says he goes there to be tested by the devil. 
In other words, whenever you go into fasting, you know that you're going to be tried. You're going to be tempted. Every year when Lent rolls around and my kids tell me they're going to give up chocolate for Lent, I'm sitting there thinking, how are you going to withstand that? How, or, or Liam, he wants to give up Coca-Cola. I'm, all, I'm always like a week into it. So how are you doing that, buddy? We know that when we enter into that season, we enter into that fast, it's going to be tough. There's going to be a challenge issued. There's going to be temptation that comes in. But we step into it knowing that God's grace is sufficient to get us through it. So again, we become dependent on God's grace. And I want us to look at this passage a little more closely because Jesus was tempted three times and we see in those three temptations how he relied on God's grace. First of all, the devil comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God. Now let's stop right there because that's weird. Surely the devil knows this is the son of God, right? But he says to Jesus, if you are, then... And he's, he's, he's baiting Jesus. He's, he's saying... Uh, let, me, let me cast a little bit of doubt. Maybe you're not the son of God. But if you are, then you should be able to prove it. And Jesus doesn't fall for it. Jesus says, I don't need food to eat. I don't need to turn these stones into bread. I don't need to prove to you that I'm the son of God. All I need is the word of God. Man cannot live by bread alone but by every word of God. And he's actually quoting the written word of God as he is saying this. Now, the, the word of God, the scriptures are another means of grace. We'll talk about that next week. But, but Jesus is saying, I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to have bread right now. I don't have to do anything except depend on what God gives to me, what God is speaking into my life right now. But the devil doesn't give up. He comes back and he does it again. If you're the son of God, then you should have God's full protection. Throw yourself off the temple and, and see if God's angels catch you. And Jesus, again, comes back with scripture. He says, do not test the Lord your God. And again, he is saying, all I need is what God has given me. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to say, well, I might not be the son of God. I might not. Let me see. All I need, God has provided. And I don't need to test him to see he's going to give me the grace that I need. And then when all else fails, the devil tries to appeal to the ego. Pride, arrogance, power, authority, all of those things that human beings naturally crave. And he says, look at all this, all the kingdoms of the earth. Look at it all. I can give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. You can be the greatest here on earth and you can have all of this. All I need for you to do is, is recognize that I'm a little bit better than you and worship me. Give me your worship and I can give you all the power and authority you could ever dream of. And again, Jesus denies it. And says, no, I don't need this. And I certainly don't need it from you. Again, all I need, God gives me. This is the best and purest understanding of grace. This is what fasting is all about. 
To say, I am denying what I want. I'm denying the simple things I want. I'm denying the great things I want. I'm denying power and authority and everything else that can be offered to me. I'm denying it all because everything I need, God will give me when God is ready. And then at this time, the devil left him. It's, it's like the book of James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee. Yes. Keep persevering. Keep growing in grace. And the devil leaves him. And then it says, angels came and ministered to him. And Jesus experienced the blessing of the fast. Now, let's, let's put that scripture back on there where Jesus was talking to his disciples uh, about the fasting. He says, when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They distort their faces so people will know they are fasting. I assure you that they have their reward. When you fast, brush your hair, wash your face. Then you won't look like you are fasting to people, but only to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So there is a reward. There is a blessing to fasting, but it has to come from a place of humility, which flies in the face of, of this, this temptation that was offered to Jesus. It was all about power and authority and pride and ego. And Jesus said, no, this, this is a very humbling thing for me to do right here. And if we deny ourselves, it can never be because we want to feel good about who we are or we want to look good to other people because that's not where the grace is going to come. I remember when I was in Teen Advisors. Teen Advisors was a relatively new program back then. And uh, in fact, it was uh, hosted by Christ Community Church. And this was when Christ Community Church met in a used car dealership. And uh, this was off of Macon Road. And we would meet there on Tuesday nights for Bible study. And then when it was over, we would go to El Vaquero. This is when El Vaquero was over there in Cross Country Plaza. And so if you could imagine 30 or 40 teenagers going into a Mexican restaurant every Tuesday night, they probably rolled their eyes when they saw us coming. First of all, I don't think any of us brought money with us. So we were there for the chips and dip. And they would put all those baskets on the big long table that we were at and everybody would be reaching over and grabbing the chips and the salsa and eating and eating. And then I remember there was this one guy one time who showed extraordinary restraint and would not grab one of those chips. And everybody was like, here, don't you want a chip? Don't, don't you want this? And he goes, no, I'm fasting. And everybody said, ooh. So the next week, we get together, El Vaquero, all the chips being passed around, and then there's somebody else at the table that says, mm, not me, I'm fasting. I'm, I'm above this. Thing that you mere mortals are consuming right here. And then the next week it was somebody else. No, I'm, I'm fasting. Then it was two or three people. No, we're, we're fasting. It was, it was for show. You know, we, we were teenagers trying to impress each other and it, it just so happened we were always fasting on Tuesday nights for some reason. <laughs> but th that was the reward, right? Was the recognition from each other. That's what Jesus said. When you fast, don't, don't make a show out of it. You have your reward. If you do that, you have your reward. That's, that's, that's the blessing for you, I guess, is the, the praise of men. But if you can come into it with humility, with surrender, and not announce it, not broadcast it, 
then you will experience God's grace in a whole new way. So again, we come back to that thing. What is it that the Spirit is leading us to surrender? Maybe permanently, maybe just momentarily. What is the thing that the Spirit is saying? This, this could be a good thing in and of itself, but for right now, I want you to let go of it. And as you are tempted, as you are tried, as you are tested, rely on me and find your strength in me. Grow in your strength in me. You see, John Wesley felt like fasting was one of the most powerful ways that we could grow in our understanding of what it means to be strengthened in Christ. And that remains true for us today, for the church today. It's because of grace, prevenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace. It's because of these that we can have encounters with God. But we must be willing to seek God out, to search him with our whole hearts. And we cannot search him with our whole hearts if we are not willing to first deny ourselves, to deny our own hungers, our own passions, our own desires, whatever they may be. A life of surrender and submission seems daunting, but that life is possible because of God's grace and the strength that he gives us. His grace can and will sustain us. It will give us a newfound strength that we didn't know that we had. And by his grace, he will bring his angels to minister to us in our time of need. Please pray with me. Lord, so often we cheapen your grace by taking advantage of it, taking it for granted. And we are sorry for all the times that um, maybe we are not aware of our deep need for your grace. But Lord, we ask that as your spirit leads us and speaks to us and teaches us that you would guide us into, um, into surrender into submission, whatever that may look like. Maybe it is fasting uh, for a day without food. Maybe it is giving up something in our lives that we've become too dependent on. Maybe it, it could be any number of things, Lord. You, you alone know what we need, what is best for us. But we ask that whatever it may be, that you would impress it upon our hearts and open our hearts in such a way that we can be, we can be open to your Spirit's yielding or to your spirit's leading, and we can yield to it. Lord, let us find our strength in you. Let us depend on you more fervently than we tend to. Let us find strength in you because when we recognize just how frail we are, how weak we are, when we come to you in that humility, that's when you bless us and you grow us and you strengthen us by that wonderful, powerful, amazing grace. And we praise you for it. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in to our podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and check us out online at piercechapel.com. And now may you know the peace, the power, and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in your life. 
Go to love, go to serve, go in peace. Amen.